0: Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Good morning. One of the great uh, privileges of my life has been to be Brooks's dad and I mean that and now I get to be Rachel's father-in-law and I'm looking forward to that and uh, as Brooks said I went to college uh, at the University of Oregon and I went as a non-Christian I did not grow up in a Christian family uh, was saved uh, while there uh, was a biology major, had intended to go into orthodontics, and the Lord redirected, and ended up uh, going to uh, Dallas Seminary, and then on into the ministry. And one of my goals early on in life was that I wanted to have a very different home life than the one that I grew up in. I was one of five children, my father was an alcoholic, a very angry, violent man, and uh, as a young man, newly saved, preparing for the ministry, still, still single, I didn't get married till I was 30, my big goal, one of the biggest goals of my life has been I did not want to recreate the home environment that I grew up in. And so I'm going to share about an experience that the Lord took me through about 25 years that has been very key in helping me to be uh, A different father than the one that I had. But before we proceed, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. You know, Father, thank you that your word is living and active. It's God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God, us, us, might be thoroughly equipped for every good work, including a you know, husband, a wife, a father, a mother, uh, a witness. And so use this time. Speak to us through your spirit and your word. Impart truth. Life-changing truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. About 25 years ago, a woman had, from the church made an appointment to see me. I didn't know what she wanted. I, I knew Every Sunday I saw him in church. Her and her husband, Joe, daughter. Uh, soon to find out, she was 51 years old. She made an appointment to see me whenever I met with a woman in the church. I always had one of the ladies in the office sit in with me. And this lady came in and proceeded to tell me that about a month prior... Her 19-year-old daughter, who had run away from home at 16, had shown up at her doorstep, at their doorstep, after not seeing her for three years, about eight and a half months pregnant, wanting to know, single, if she could come home and have a baby. Obviously, they took her in, and uh, she proceeded to have that baby. And now she's uh, a brand-new mother, so, this woman uh, is 51. She's now grandma with a daughter who's a new mother, a very uh, young, immature, doesn't know the first thing about being a mother. And she's gonna help. Grandma wants to help now and didn't see this coming. So, uh, the baby was born, and about two weeks after the baby's born, one day out of the corner of her eye, uh, grandma sees her daughter what appears to be intentionally dropped the baby on the floor the baby ends up on the floor praise god not hurt very alarmed grandma thinks what was that you know and then she just kind of convinced herself that for sure i could not have seen what i saw my daughter would not have dropped her baby on the floor intentionally but now her her guard is up, she's watching, she's paying attention. Uh, for the most part, her daughter is you know, is trying to be a good mom, You know, is very nice to the baby. And then about three days after that first incident, it happens again. And this time, she just flats out. Grandma sees her do it, just, just drops the baby on the floor. Uh, obviously, uh, now she's very alarmed. Praise God, the baby wasn't hurt again. But she knows, sooner or later, this baby's going to get hurt. This baby's life is in danger, and she's come to her pastor for help, for input, and I've never heard anything like this before. You know, I've heard a lot over the years, the 40 years of ministry, but I've never heard anything like that. So I said, well, tell me a little bit about your daughter. She said, well, that's a long story. When she was 12 years old, she really started, we really started having problems with her. We ended up taking her to a Christian counselor. This is a Christian family, Christian mom and dad. We uh, took her to uh, her, her first Christian counselor. That counselor uh, surmised that, that, that there could be some demonic issues here in this little girl's life, 12 years old. And uh, so things got better. Uh, two years went by, 14 things flared up again in a negative way. They went to a second counselor, a different counselor, Christian counselor. He came to the same conclusion as the first counselor that there's some demonic problems in this, in your daughter. Once again, a lot of prayer, a lot of counseling and things got better again and, and, uh, So life went on, two more years went by, 16, it all flared up again, really ugly this time. Went to a third Christian counselor, different Christian counselor, trying to get help for their daughter. Uh, Things improved for about a month, and then she disappeared. She left home, she ran away. Uh, They were able to kind of determine that she had gone to a friend's house, and from there and there, and they, you know, they gone 3 years now she showed up has a baby and she's dropping the baby on the floor it took her quite a long time to share all that with me during which times I'm listening and I'm thinking back to San Antonio Texas because when I graduated in 81 I went for 5 years as a youth pastor in San Antonio Texas and and I had had a problem with a demo- with a youngster Uh, named uh, Raymond who had had some uh, spiritual issues with demons and this. And I'm thinking, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. So we end uh, our time together in prayer. We make a second appointment for just a couple of days. Uh, She walks out of my office, and I, as God is my witness, I fall on my knees in prayer. And I'm asking God, God, guide me, show me, help me. Lead me in this situation for this little baby's sake. We don't want this little baby to get hurt. And uh, after my prayer, I I sat down at my desk and and the thing that one of the things that really stood out to me in the grandma's comments was that it all started when she was 12. When she was 12, that boy, that's young for someone to start having problems with demons. And I I ended up looking at the passage in Mark chapter 9 of the father who brought his son to Jesus for help because he said the son was possessed by a demon, would often throw him in the fire, try to harm him. And, And remember the question Jesus asked that father, how long has he been like that? Now, Obviously, Jesus is God. He knows everything. He doesn't need to ask that question, but I think he's asking it for everybody's sake. And then the father says, from childhood, from childhood. Doesn't say how he ended up that way. Just that he had had problems with demons from childhood. So we know it can happen. And Jesus ends up in that situation, you know, driving the uh, demon out. Uh, and when the disciples asked him, "How come we couldn't do it?" And he said, "Well, this kind can only come out through prayer, prayer and or fasting together." So I'm, in, I'm, I'm sitting at my desk and I know what can happen, and I, and I pray God, it doesn't tell me there in Mark chapter nine how that happened. But how might that happen? How does that happen? This is a Christian family. And I felt like the Holy Spirit took me on a little personal Bible study, and I'm going to take you on that Bible study real quick. And stop number one is that a passage from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Now remember, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He is writing to Christians. These are Christians who are reading this. And he's not saying it's wrong to get angry. He's not saying that. He said, just don't get sinfully angry. We know that the day that Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple, he was angry. It says he was angry. Man, he was angry. He he was so angry he made a, a whip. He turned over tables. He drove those money changers out of the temple area. So it's not saying you can't get angry. We're emotional beings and at times we're going to get angry and, and, and at times rightfully so, rightfully so. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't stay angry, in other words. I had a professor in seminary who used to say, you can get uh, angry and not sin, but not for long. So in your anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. Whoa. Now he's talking to Christians. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. So that day, I looked up the meaning of the Greek word translated foothold, and it simply means a place, a place. And he's talking to Christians. Don't hate. Don't you let the devil get a place. I don't think Christians can be possessed. They can be oppressed. Oppressed. They can be affected. Enemy, sounds like, can get a place, a foothold. And then that fast, that fast, I just felt like the Lord said. Now look over at Ephesians 6, 4, where it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I know that verse. I am a father. I know that verse. But that day in my office, Ten minutes after this lady has left, I turned that verse around and I looked at it a little bit different than I had ever looked at it before. I looked at it, okay, I know I'm not supposed to do it. Why am I not supposed to do it? Because if I exasperate them, there's probably a good chance they're going to get angry. And if they get angry, sinfully angry, and stay that way, the devil could get a place. Ephesians 4. And then just that fast, the Holy Spirit said, Okay, I want you now go over to that passage from James, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. If man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires, what does it bring about? The unrighteous life that God does not desire. You need to know that since all this happened, I have read through the Bible. I read through it every year, and every year I try to pick out a different or a different subject to really pay attention to. And so one year, I just paid attention, reading through the Bible, what happened when somebody got angry. Whenever I ran across somebody getting angry in the Scriptures, you know, what, uh, what happened? Was it good or bad? And not surprisingly, about 98.5% of the time, when somebody in the Bible got angry, something bad happened. Because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So I'm sitting there, and I just feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, now, are, are, are you seeing a common thread here? And if Satan knows that, that potentially if somebody gets sinfully angry, then it stands to reason he might try to provoke people to get angry, to get sinfully angry, in order to get a foothold in their life. So I begin to look for examples in the Scriptures of individuals who got sinfully angry and then had problems with demons. Were there any examples in the scriptures of that? There are three. The first is two brothers, Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4, the two offerings, one's accepted, one's not. And we're told right at the beginning, Cain got angry. There's no right to get angry. And right away, God comes to him. Right away, God comes to him. He says, why are you angry, Cain? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, you will be accepted. And then he warns him. Then he warns him. He said, watch out, Cain, because sin is crouching at your door, and it desires you. And you think, now what's that? Because it's kind of a vague reference. You think, well, what? what, Is that sin from within? Is that his sin nature? Or is that something from outside of? at his door looking, looking to take advantage of him. Well, he knows that he doesn't, we know he doesn't heed the warning because he goes on to kill his brother. Now, you need to, you need to connect that incident with something we're told in 1 John chapter 3.12 where it says, Don't be like Cain, who, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Did you hear that middle part? Don't be like Cain who murdered his brother who belonged to the evil one. When did that happen? When did Cain end up belonging to the evil one? And then went on to murder his brother. So then you go back and you look at uh, Genesis chapter 4 through that lens and you you begin to see, hey, he got sinfully angry and the devil got a foothold And he ended up belonging to the enemy. And he killed his brother. That's example chapter uh, number one. Number two is 1 Samuel chapter 18. King Saul and David. Chapter 17, David kills Goliath. The Israelites rise up. They defeat the Philistines. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. They come back into town. And the women start singing. Saul has killed his thousands. Now remember, he's the king. Saul has killed his thousands. David, the young shepherd boy, the nobody from Bethlehem, has killed his tens of thousands. And what happens? Saul gets very angry. Now, should he be angry? No. Does David mean him any harm? No. This is a time of celebration, but he gets very angry, and he goes to bed. And the very, the very next day, we're told that an evil spirit comes upon him. And like, well, where, where did that come from? An evil spirit comes upon him, and he takes the spear, and he tries to kill David. Huh? Third example is John chapter 12. Uh, Jesus is in, uh, at the home, remember, and Mary anoints him with that uh, expensive perfume. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels, it just says that that some of the disciples objected. But in John chapter 12, we're told specifically who it was. It was Judas Iscariot. Judas objected. What a waste. That could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And then we're told right on the side, he didn't care two hoots about the poor, but as treasurer, he used to steal from them out of it. Well, so he objects, and Jesus does something in in John chapter 12 that you don't see him doing. There's no record of him doing anywhere else in the Gospels. He rebukes Judas. Leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing, and she will always be remembered for it. Now, we're not told in John chapter 12 how Judas Iscariot responded to that rebuke. But chronologically when you look at the very next thing that happens in Judas Iscariot's life, you know what it is? Satan enters him. I mean mean, the guy has traveled with Jesus for three and a half years and now all of a sudden Satan enters him and everything begins to unravel. So I So the question that begs to be asked, well, did he get angry when Jesus rebuked him? Did he get sinfully angry? Did he get a place? Now, as God is my witness, this lady now has been out of my office for a half an hour, and the Holy Spirit has just taken me through a study. Boom, 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 boom. All of which I I had never seen connected like that before. So now let's fast forward to my second meeting with Grandma, 51. She comes in a couple days later, and I've got a question. I've got a question that I'm going to ask her, and she doesn't know I'm going to ask her, and I haven't told her anything about the study that the Spirit took me through that I just shared with you. And my question is, now when your little girl was growing up, when was the first time you saw her act out in a way that really disturbed you? And I said, no, I'm not talking about kids being kids and breaking things and white lies and that kind of stuff. I'm talking about something where you said, "Uh uh-oh, I didn't like that. I didn't like the looks of that. Now, she didn't know I was going to ask her that question. I figured that she might have to reflect a little bit about, well, let me think. And She answered that fast. When she was eight. When she was eight. And I said, well, what happened when she was eight? Her dad and I got a divorce. Now, that was all news to me because she's been coming to church with husband number two, who I thought was husband number one, and we're not going to go into any of that, but when this little girl was eight, mom and dad got a divorce. They had two girls, and they decided to address uh, child custody issues on their own. The dad would take the oldest daughter mama kept the younger daughter the one that's now 19 with the newborn baby and then from time to time they would you know go to visit and so on and so forth and she said this little girl my little girl the girl that stayed with me most of the time would go visit her dad and sister sometimes and she would come home from those visits so mad she would literally just pound her fist on the kitchen table because of how dad was mistreating her sister and she'd say, Mama, it's not right. It's not right. It's not right how oh, Daddy's treating my sister. And she said, that's when the problems started. The problems that went by the time she was 12. Now she's going to see Christian counselors, and the counselors are saying, you know, I think there's a demonic issue here. Well, that fits. So then I proceeded to tell her everything I've just told you, and we're thinking, whoa, it kind of fit.'" So we made a third appointment. We made a third appointment. And this time, I asked her, do you think your 19-year-old daughter would come in to see me? She goes, I don't know, man. She hadn't stepped foot in, uh, inside the church and who knows how long. But I'll ask. So I said, you go ask. And we prayed. We prayed she would. And she did. Now, before I tell you what happened when she did, I'm going to tell you about something that happened between the second visit, and the third visit, at our house. It's 1015 on a Wednesday night. Wednesday night, a WANA uh, prayer meeting at the church, youth group night at the church. I, I got home. Brooks was sitting right on the couch beside me, and he was maybe uh, seven, or, seven or eight. And uh, uh, it was 1015, and his two older brothers come through the door, it's 10:15. I'll never forget it. And the oldest uh, son, our son, a very mild-mannered young, uh, young man, he came in through that front door, and he took his fist, and he beat it against the side of the wall. And I had never seen him do anything like that in my life. And I thought, what, 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 what? what? And, and so I sent Brooks to bed. I had him and his other brothers sit down on the floor. I said, tell me what happened, what happened. In the youth group that night, he and another youngster had gotten in a big argument, and now he's coming home madder than a hornet. And I proceeded to tell him and his brother everything I've just told you. Because I'm thinking, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. And I say, hey, 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 Trab, you know, your real enemy here is not the guy, is not that other youngster. Your real enemy here is Satan. And, and he's probably laying in the weeds. And, and I proceeded to tell him everything. And he gets it. He gets it. Just like you understand. Just like we get it. And, he, and, and, and so, I, so we prayed. He calmed down. He went to bed. And we're all a little bit wiser. When they went to bed, I told my wife, we got to come up with a code word. We got to come up with a code word between you and me, husband and wife. If we're ever out in public and you see me getting angry, maybe too angry, or I see you getting too angry, or we see you in a situation where somebody's trying to provoke us to wrath, and you know, we live in an angry society. The road rage and the different incidences, you know, where all of a sudden somebody pulls out a gun and they're shooting somebody and you think, what is going on? So we made a covenant, and the word we came up with is remember. So if we're ever out in public and something's kind of, you know, the, the situation for one reason or another, or one of us is getting angry maybe a little bit, just we would, the other one would say remember. Remember all of this. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 6, James 1, remember. Don't let the enemy provoke you. So we've been very, 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 very diligent about this for over 25 years and as the kids, as the little ones got older, and as Brooks got older, and Bobby got older, and Amy got older, old enough and by that I mean teenage years where they were old enough to understand what I've just shared with you we've shared it with them because the last thing we want to do, see happen as a mother and a father is for the enemy to provoke one of our kids in a way where they where he can get a foothold. So back to our last meeting. So here's what I had told to, to grandma on meeting number two before meeting number three. Meeting number two, I told her, okay, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says that the weapons we we, the weapons we Christians fight with are not the weapons of the world, but rather they have a divine power for the demolishing of arguments and strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And one of those weapons we know is prayer, is prayer, because Jesus said, this kind can only come out through prayer. Prayer and fasting. Fasting is another weapon. The word of God is another weapon. The name of Jesus is another weapon. The weapon we Christians fight with are not the weapons of the world, but they have a divine power for the demolishing of strongholds. So this 19-year-old daughter agrees to come with Mama to see me. Now, Remember, there's nothing physically wrong with this girl, uh, aside from some kind of a demonic struggle in her life. She walks into my office like this here, flat affect. And I look at her mother like, something wrong with her? You know, I couldn't say that because she's standing right there. And the mother is looking like, so she sits down, she sits down, I sit down. I, try, I introduce myself. I try to help her to feel relaxed. Hey, we're here for you, et cetera, et cetera. No response. No indication that she's even listening to the slightest things I say. So finally, I said, well, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to share some things, and I just hope you'll listen. I'll do it as fast as I can and as clearly as I can. So we pray, and I proceed to share everything I just shared with you. And, of course, it takes a while to do that. 15, 20 minutes to do that. And there's this blank stare the whole time. Hasn't blinked, hasn't smiled, hasn't made one sound. So I've, I'm finished. Now I'm finishing up, and I'm beginning. And now I'm reaching that point, and I'm going to ask her, Do you think this is a problem in your life? So I ask her that. And for the first time, she acknowledges me. And she shakes her head, Yes. And I said, you want help? Okay. And then the Lord gave me a little idea. and Because he, uh, I had often heard that individuals with demons have a hard time saying the name Jesus. They don't want to say the name Jesus. So I said, hey, I want you to repeat. I'm going to mention a name, and I want you to repeat it after me. So I'll say, Jesus. So I said, let's try that again. Jesus it took us about 20 times 20 times before she was saying Jesus the same way I was saying Jesus so I said here's what we're going to do we're going to pray for your mother and we're going to pray for me and we're going to pray for you that if there's anything in our lives that they're that's there, that shouldn't be there, any foothold, any place, any stronghold, just anything that's there that just shouldn't be there, that God doesn't want there, that maybe Satan put there, that that God destroys it, eradicates it, removes it, tears it down. Okay? So we're not just going to pray for you. We're going to pray for all of us. So I proceed to pray for Grandma, me, and then her, and then when I, uh, you know, just God cleanse, God heal, God remove anything, any foothold, any place, any stronghold, anything that's there that shouldn't be there, tear it down. In the, by the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And when I said Amen, you know, I looked at her, and she looked at me, and she had the biggest smile on her face, and she she said, "I'm free." So I proceed to share the gospel with her. She becomes a Christian. And I say, okay, now we all got to be alert. We all got to be alert. Because you can tear down a stronghold, but that doesn't mean Satan can't come back the next day and just try to dig another one. And so for 25 years, ever since this first happened, we have been alert. Carol Ann and I have been alert. And we've watched our kids and coached our kids and, and told them, you know, and just in settings, that they need to be alert just like we need to be alert. And that's what I'm telling you. you got to be alert. He's going to try. Enemy's going to try to provoke you. And he'll, he, he's very good at doing that. You know, somebody will do some, uh, some say something ugly, mean, mistreat you, and boy, it'll, yeah. But that's when you've got to remember. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to end. It's time to end. I'm two minutes late. Excuse me for being late. And we're going to pray. And we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray with me. And here's how I want you to pray. That if there's anything in any of us that's there that shouldn't be there. You know, maybe some of you have seen, uh, grew up in the angry home that I grew up in. You know, you look at these school shootings that have been going on now for so many years, and they all have one thing in common. Every gunman was an angry person. Was an angry person. And then went out and got a gun, and whether it was college kids or elementary school kids, just bang, bang, bang. You think, how can that be? How can a mother drop her own newborn infant on the floor? They got problems. They got strongholds. Enemies got a place. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Yeah, he did. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father God. Oh, Father. You know, just as I, I prayed, you know, th- I think of that day and how beautiful it was, the, how beautiful that result was. And I would pray right now for this student body. I'd pray for every man and every woman here. And, Father, I don't know their names. I, 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 I don't know their backgrounds. <laughs> but I know, I know the home that I grew up in. And it was rough. And there was so much anger sinful anger, abusive anger. And we see it in this society. We read about it in the papers. We hear about it on the news where this husband's doing something and killing his wife or killing his kids or the kids are killing mom and dad and these road rage incidents where they're pulling over and they're shooting each other. God help us. And Search us. You know us inside and out. You know us inside and out. And if there's anything in us, anything in me, any any, any lie, any, any evil attitude, bitter root, anything place, uh, foothold, anything that's there that shouldn't be there, anything that's there that the enemy put there, anything that's there that might give the enemy an opportunity to kind of further, further his agenda in my life, tear it down. We ask that you tear it down. We ask in the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus to tear it down. By your spirit, just tear it down and over it, to seal over it, to seal over it, to seal over it by your spirit, to seal over it. And I pray you'd really protect this student body. And I pray that one classmate would be able to say to the next one, you know, at a, at a, at a critical moment when, when, when perhaps something ugly has happened, just remember, okay, that was, that was so wrong, but remember Just remember, get angry? Okay, okay, be angry, but don't sin. Don't get sinfully angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Oh, God, that's our prayer. That's our prayer for today, and that's our prayer for tomorrow and for the years to come, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 and God bless. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.